Dear Social Dallas, I am on Texas death row, and I have been here for 22 years. It's only by the grace of God that I'm still alive without an execution date. I'm writing to you because I have Pando on my tablet, and I recently discovered your church. Pastor Madhu, I was an evangelist for more than 32 years, and I also pastored for five. Since discovering your ministry, God has been drawing me closer to Him. I now know Jesus more since I've been on death row than all the years that I've been saved. For the first time in my life, I realize that He is my Father and I am His Son. I failed to see that before because I was in religion and not in relationship. Thank you for being on Pando so that I could hear the word of the Lord and continue to build on the relationship I have with Him. Thank you for remembering people like me. May God be with you now and always. Never underestimate the power of a letter from a prisoner. What you just saw on video was a letter that we received from an inmate. As a matter of fact, every single week we receive letters from inmates who watch our services on Pando. You can even walk out of service today and go in the lobby and you'll see some of the letters that we've received. And I got to tell you, I read these letters every week. I read these letters every week for my sanity. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, that the words of other people, whether read or spoken, have the tendency to take up a residency in your mind and they will live there rent free. So I found just for me, rather than reading the negative comments on Instagram from internet trolls who have a public opinion from a private page, I would rather read the letters from a prisoner. Matter of fact, the reason we are on Pando today and inmates can watch our services on their tablets is because of a letter from a prisoner. Last year, I got a letter from an inmate who said, Pastor Madhu, I watched your sermon from Elevation Church entitled, I'm Annoyed, But I'm Assigned. He said, I don't even think this letter will get to you, but I may as well try anyway. He said, I just have one request. Could you please put social Dallas messages on the Pando app so inmates can watch your services? And to think, because of that one inmate's letter, not only are we on Pando, but today, we're on Pando with 19,817 subscribers. These messages that some of y'all just kind of sit back like you don't want to hear have been viewed by 40,733 inmates. And as I sit before you today, 964 inmates have given their life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, never underestimate the power of a letter from an inmate. And the reason you can never underestimate the power of a letter from a prisoner is because, hear me, God loves prisoners. God loves prisoners. 
prisoners. We're filling in another blank today. And those of you who are just tuning in to the Social Dallas Netflix series, maybe you're a little confused. Because we started a series, and this is the fourth installment of that series, and the series is simply titled, God Loves Blank. And we've been filling in the blank each week. And can I tell you that even when this series is over, we're going to be filling in the blanks. We as a church community, we are going to fill in the blanks of God's love. And I've been telling you that it's easy to fill in the blank for people that you like. But God's love will always stretch you to fill in another blank. As a matter of fact, one of the things I've been trying to get you to see in this series is that you really can't fill in the blank until you see yourself as the people in the blank. So we started off with God loves sinners, and then we said God loves the LGBTQ community, and we said God loves addicts, but you got to see yourself as the person in the blank. As long as you have the sin of self-righteousness and you think you all that, you will never see yourself as a sinner that needs grace. As long as you judge somebody else's type of sin because it's different than your sin, you will never fill in the blank and love people the way they need to be loved. As long as you judge the heroin addict and refuse to come to the reality that you are addicted to social media. You will never love the person in the blank. And today, we got a new blank. And it is God loves prisoners. And this must be the most difficult blank to fill because unless you're watching this message on Pando today, you're free. Aren't you? You're not like behind any prison bars. You're like what I just did. You can get out, move around whenever you want to move around. Go wherever you want to go. You don't have a curfew. You're free, right? You can do what you want. But I guess the question I've been asking myself is, what does freedom really look like? What is freedom? Because some of the things that people call freedom, I would call imprisonment. And some of the things that people call imprisonment, I would actually say it's freedom. And what are you talking about, Pastor Robert? Let me break it down a little more. Uh, like, I, I know people who are, like, restricted in what they eat. Just talking real practical. You ever met that person just restricted in what they eat? They're like, oh, no, 6 p.m., no more carbs for me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just going to do kale today. And you're like, man, you're restricted. Like, that's, that's all you're going to eat? And then I met people who are free with what they eat. I mean, it don't matter. 12 o'clock, crumble cookies. <laughs> Taco Bell and Jack in the box. They eat whatever they want. There's no restriction. But if you look at their life, and I dare say even their physicality, the one that is restricted looks like they're free. And the one that's free uh, looks like they're restricted. That, that, that's, that's too much. Let me, let me do a different example. I, 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 I've, I've, I've seen people who, can I say it? I may as well. I've seen people who will have a budget, that cuss word, budget. <laughs> like they act their wage and they're like, hey, first of all, the first 10% goes to God and I only spend this much here and I only spend this. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't go to that vacation. I got a budget. And it's so restricted. It's like they're in prison. And then I meet other people. They're like, it don't matter. Ball out, charge it. I'll figure it out later. They will spend whatever they want to spend. What is restricted? The other one's free, I guess, but they drowning in debt. I don't understand. What does freedom really look like? Like, like I know people who will sleep with whoever. 
Look at how shocked you are. Really? I know people that as long as it's consensual and as long as they're attracted, that's fine. And they think they're free. Then I've seen people faithful to one spouse all their life. And I see the fruit of their life. But they're imprisoned. Matter of fact, the one that sleeps with everybody would look at them and go, really? You look shackled. <laughs> Never mind, they don't have an STD. But really? You're... <laughs> Seems like you're in prison. I just... I wonder what freedom really looks like. And I submit to you that there are people that, yes, you're free in your physicality, but you are bound in your mind. <laughs> what good is it to be free legally but in your mind and in your spirit, you are incarcerated. I would dare say there are men and women who are actually in a prison and yet they are more free than some of you who are watching this message in service right now. And I felt like we had to fill in the blank today with the reality that God loves prisoners. Yes, there's a difference between being free physically and being free spiritually. And yes, there are those of us who are free, but you're imprisoned in your mind. But let's not shy away from the reality today that there are people in these United States of America who are physically in prison. As a matter of fact, approximately 1.8 million people are incarcerated in state or federal prisons or local jails. Almost 2 million people today in these United States of America are prisoners. The prison population varies significantly from state to state, but Texas has the highest prison population with 133,772 people who are incarcerated. And if you're one of those two million people who are watching this message today, I want to let you know God loves prisoners. If you are not in a physical prison, but yet you found yourself in a situation that you don't know how you're going to get out of it or when you're going to get out of it, I want to let you know today, God loves prisoners. What do you do when you're imprisoned in something and you can't get out? When I said God loves prisoners, somebody said, well, that's cute, that's nice, but if God really loves me as a prisoner, how about he show me that love by getting me out? Even some of you who are not in the physical prison, you're like, okay, Lord, if, if you love me, you're the great liberator, why don't you get me out? Oh, and I feel you. Oh, I feel you. I, un I understand it. Matter of fact, I've never been incarcerated before, but I have been in some situations where I said, Lord... I'm ready, <laughs> release me, get me out. And it wasn't until I looked back on that situation in retrospect that I realized that there was actually something God was trying to get out of me in that season before he actually got me out of that circumstance. 
that sometimes when you are trapped and stuck in something, there's actually something God wants to do on the inside of you that's actually more important than the thing he's trying to get you out of. See, this is the type of message that nobody likes to shout about. Nobody shouts about this message right here because many of us only relegate our praise for God when he gets you out. So we love to exalt God when he gives you an exit strategy, but I'm trying to tell you there are some things God can only do while you're still stuck in it. There's some things that God says, yeah, you're not ready yet, so I'm going to let you stay in that a little bit longer. I know you want to get out of the circumstance, but I'm trying to get something out of you. I'm trying to work on some character on the inside of you, and for some of us, the only way God can get our attention is for us to actually be in isolation. For some of us, the only way God can really get you to listen to him is to get all of the noise that's on the outside away from you, to get you away from that people group that doesn't care about your purpose or your destiny. Yes, God can get you out anytime he wants to get you out, but there's sometimes he'll let you stay in it until you realize that his way is better than your way. His thoughts are better than your thoughts. He has to keep you in it until your will breaks, until you get desperate, until you realize that you need him. And some of y'all acting bougie like you ain't never been stuck in something and now you can look back over it and say, God, it was good you didn't get me out when I wanted you to get me out. But now you got my attention. Sometimes God keep you inside of it because there's something he's doing on the inside of you. What if God has you in it? Because there's something he's doing in you while you are in it. That is even the testimony of some prisoners who are watching this message today that it wasn't until they actually got behind bars that God got their attention. It wasn't until they had to be restricted because sometimes to me, freedom is having the right restriction. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is having the right restrictions. And I've come to a place in my life where I'm saying, if I'm going to be held captive by anything, I want God to hold me captive because it is his captivity that actually gives my spirit the freedom that it needs. Anything else that holds me captive will keep me stuck. But God says, I have the ability to pull something out of you even when you're in a situation that you feel like you're ready to get out of. I need you to look at the person next to you that ain't said amen this whole message and just elbow them real quick and say, he preaching better than you talking. <laughs> and hear me today, let's be clear. I'm not advocating for anybody to go catch a case. I'm not saying that you should be locked up. But I am telling you, because God loves prisoners, Often, he'll do his greatest work sometimes when you're in it. You don't believe God loves prisoners? You better ask Joseph. Matter of fact, the first time we see the word prisoner in the Bible is actually in the book of Genesis when we look at the life of Joseph. Some of y'all super saved. You know Joseph's story. But he is the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Gave him a beautiful coat. And this boy's favor, whoo, got him in trouble. Favor usually does. Those of you who are always shouting about, ooh, I'm favored, I'm his favorite child, watch out what you shout about. Because <laughs> what you're really saying is, ooh, I got a target on my head. Somebody gonna be jealous of me. And his own brothers 
jumped him, beat him, stripped him of his coat of many colors, and threw him in a pit. And we're going to leave him there for dead. He gets rescued from that pit, and his brothers sell him into slavery. Proof positive that sometimes the greatest pain you go through are from the people that should protect you. Sometimes the greatest pain of your life doesn't come from an outsider. It comes from somebody you're about to see at Thanksgiving. And his brothers sell him into slavery all the way to Egypt. And here he is, a slave, but God's hand was still on him. And this guy named Potiphar picks him to work in his house. And because he had an excellent spirit, here he is working in Potiphar's house. But Potiphar, who is married to a desperate housewife. And she noticed Joseph, who the Bible says was well-built and handsome. I've often said that if the Bible says you're well-built and handsome, <laughs> can't nobody tell you ugly. You just tell him, read the word. He said it, not me. And she noticed Joseph every single day. And this woman begged Joseph to sleep with him. Sleep with her, rather, and Joseph refused and refused and refused and every time he refused she wanted more and one time she goes to grab him and Joseph does what you're supposed to do when you're facing sexual temptation don't stay there and pray about it <laughs> he takes off running just leaves he flees and she grabs his coat and tells a lie that Joseph raped her and this is the first time we see somebody taken into prison in the Bible. Let's look at it in Genesis chapter number 39. It says Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. Do you realize the first inmate in the Bible is a man who was favored by God and who was innocent and yet found himself with a 13 year sentence. Joseph is proof positive that you can be imprisoned and still be in the will of God. You can be favored and still be in the will of God. Joseph is proof positive that you can do the right thing and still end up in the wrong place. This text confuses me because you would think that if I denied her advances and I had integrity and I had character that God would give me a blessing. But what happens when the reward of my integrity is incarceration? Joseph is proof positive that just because you follow the will of God don't mean you're going to get a Tesla and going to get a raise. Sometimes you can be in the will of God and find yourself in a dungeon, find yourself in a dark place. And that's really when the enemy's voice is loud because you're trying to figure out how did I do the right thing, but I'm in the wrong place. Maybe it's because God wants to see, can you be faithful even when you're in prison? Maybe it's because God wants to see, have you relegated my love for you to only when you get roses? And you don't even know that I love prisoners too. Here is Joseph in this prison and he's there. But because God's favor was on him and the Lord was with him, he had an excellent spirit. He had favor in the prison. Ooh, he got favor with the prison ward. And there he is in the prison and he interprets a dream and he gets out, he gets released. 
And that's the part everybody shouts about. They're like, oh, don't you want to be like Joseph? God will take you from the prison to the palace. Isn't that a great testimony? Let's shout because God can restore and give you a position. I didn't shout. I'm not shouting that Joseph got out and became second in command in Egypt. So what about the position? I'm asking questions about his reputation. Because it seems like nobody ever stood up and said, hey, by the way, the dude you had in prison for 13 years for rape, it wasn't true. It was a lie. Oh, y'all don't want me to go there since I'm preaching on prison. You would be shocked at some inmates who are listening to this message right now who are in prison, not because they are guilty, but because they are innocent. They are in prison because they got a court-appointed attorney and they didn't have any money and the attorney didn't care about them. And let's not just have intercession for our criminal justice system. We need some legislation for this criminal justice system that sometimes will treat you better if you're rich and guilty than they will if you're innocent and poor we need God to send a revival for the criminal justice system because there are some people who are just like Joseph who are innocent they're in there because they didn't have the money to get the attorney and I'm thinking Joseph if you got out somebody should have shouted from the rooftop hey by the way he didn't do it by the way his reputation is clean I said, God, this is not justice at all. And God said, that's your problem. You care more about your reputation than my reputation. God began to show me that my reputation is not really my responsibility. Because a reputation is what other people think about you. A reputation, by definition, is the belief or the opinion that other people have of you. It's a reputation. And I've heard people say, well, you only got one reputation, take care of it. I disagree. Because if the reputation, by definition, is what somebody thinks about you, that means I can have as many reputations as there are thinks, thinking and opinions of other people. So I've learned this lesson in life that my reputation has nothing to do with me, but my character has everything to do with me. Oh my goodness. It's, it's not my responsibility to watch my reputation. It is my responsibility to watch my character, to watch my integrity, because I can't control what you think about me but I can control my character I can control my integrity and even though Joseph got to the position and there were still people who said that's that rapist that's got that position they might have thought that but God was in heaven going I'm so proud of you Joseph thank you for praising me in the dark and praising me in the light thank you for having integrity and praising me in the prison and praising me when you got out I wish God would send a revival of some people that actually had character and integrity and said think what you want about me I'm not trying to please you but I am trying to please him and as long as you are good with me doesn't matter what anybody else's opinion is you want to know what you can control your character your integrity who are you when nobody else is watching you can't control other people's opinions of you. Matter of fact, some of you, the biggest prison you're in right now <laughs> is the prison of the opinions of other people. I'm free. No, you're not. <gasps> because you are enslaved 
by the approval of other people. And so no wonder you're a chameleon and you curate who you are depending on who you're with. Because your prison isn't behind bars. Your prison is the opinions of other people. And here is Joseph who goes from the prison to second highest position in the palace. Why? Because God loves prisoners. You know who else would tell you God loves prisoners? Who? Not just Joseph. How many know Jeremiah would tell you God loves prisoners? Oh, you didn't know that prophet had a record? I prove it. Look at it. Jeremiah 37. Then Jeremiah said to the king, Zedekiah, what crime have I committed against you or your attendants or this people that you have put me in prison? Jeremiah would tell you God loves prisoners. You know why he got thrown in prison? Because he was a prophet and he declared what thus said the Lord. And it just so happened that what thus said the Lord wasn't the best report. The report was, guess what? You're not going to get out. You're going in. And I love that Jeremiah had enough integrity as a prophet to say, I'm not really a prophet if I only give you the good news. I'm not really a prophet if I just tell you, you're going to win the lottery tomorrow and I see favor in your life. Who wouldn't want that prophet? If all you ever say is I'm going to get a blessing and I'm going to have 100,000 followers on Instagram, the true prophetic voice would tell you, yeah, your character's terrible. In love. <laughs> a true prophet would tell you, yeah, you're in sin. Yeah, that's wrong. In love. And Jeremiah found himself in a prison. But Jeremiah would tell you, God loves prisoners. Who else? Because you know, the Bible is full of people that have records. Matter of fact, it's hard to find people that didn't have one. Remember the three Hebrew boys? Remember when King Nebuchadnezzar sent out an edict and said, when the flute and the music plays, everybody has to bow down to this giant image. And these three Hebrew boys were so gangster. They said, we refuse to bow down. They weren't adults. They were teenagers. Shout out to the young people listening to this message. Do not wait till you turn 21 or you turn 35 to start taking a stand for God. If you wait till that age, you'll never take a stand. Matter of fact, you're living in a darkness that generations before you have never seen. You ought to stand up for God right there in the third grade, right there in the fifth grade. Everybody else is coming out of the closet and saying what they are. You may as well just identify with Jesus and say, say what you want about me, but this is who I am. I identify with the cross of Jesus Christ. Shout out, Gen Z. Stand up. Be who God has called you to be. Realize that God doesn't control anointing because of age. You can be 10 and anointed. You can be 8 and called by God. So they said, we ain't going to bow down. And it was against the law. Woo! What if we got to that place in our nation? Where in order for you to be faithful to God, you had to have some civil disobedience and it would get you in trouble with the law. Everybody else bowed down and these three, three Hebrew boys are the only ones standing up. It's interesting what happens. They have their court case. They're about to go to juvenile detention and look at what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, 
And Abednego replied to him. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. This is in the courtroom, y'all. He says, uh, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Oh, I got to pause right there because that just makes me want to do some laps around Gillies. You know your faith has gone to another level when you can look at authority and say, God can deliver me. God will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. When you start getting that even if faith, you know you have gone to another level. So you know the story. You've been in Sunday school. They turn up the furnace seven times hotter. Throw these three Hebrew boys in the fire. And this is where the story gets interesting to me, and nobody broke it down like this to me in Sunday school. Because if I'm King Nebuchadnezzar, I've just turned up the fire seven times hotter, and I threw three Hebrew boys in that fire. I don't need a chemistry class to know what's going to happen next. If I threw you in the fire, you would think the next step for me as the king is to walk away and smell the ashes and the smoke. But that's not what King Nebuchadnezzar did. After he threw them in it, he then watched inside the furnace. Why are you watching inside a furnace that you just turned up seven times hotter? I want to pause right here and help somebody who feels like you're in something you shouldn't be in. He turned it up and watched him because I think King Nebuchadnezzar had the strange suspicion that God was going to get them out of it. This is what I love about God is that even his enemies know his reputation. Don't worry about your reputation. Worry about God's reputation. Nebuchadnezzar must have known God's reputation because even after he threw him in, he's still watching the fire. Then all of a sudden he said wait a minute didn't we throw in three I see a fourth man in the fire and there they are in it but they're not getting consumed there they are in it but they're not getting burned up I wish we could just have a praise break for somebody that can say my testimony isn't that God saved me from the furnace my testimony is that I don't even smell like what I've been through you don't even realize I should be in an insane asylum because of the hell that I went through but God was the one that stepped inside the furnace. Somebody take like 20 seconds and give them a praise in this place. If you know that your savior, King Jesus, is the fourth man in the fire. Oh, you ain't gotta take me out of it as long as he steps in it. In it. In it. In it. In it. In it. I don't know who this is for, but I can't get off this point right here. You've been asking God to take you from it, but God said, why? I got to give your enemies and your haters an opportunity to see that I can step in the fire. In it. In it. Look at our God who's more concerned with his reputation than yours. And God said, yeah, I hadn't put that on my resume yet. But I saved people in furnaces. And I chose you three to carry the testimony that you can go through the fire 
and not even smell like smoke. That you can be in it and not even look like what you've been through. What he did for them, he did it for Daniel too. Oh, Daniel had a record. You remember Daniel? That's their friend. He's in another season of his life, but here comes another evil edict. Matter of fact, let me back up. It's, it's crazy how it happens. These people who were jealous of Daniel tried to get something on him. But again, Daniel had so much character and integrity. They said, there's nothing we can get on him. He don't got nothing hiding that he's hiding. There's nothing he has in secrecy. So here's what they said. They said, the only way we can get Daniel is if it has to do with the law of God because he's so faithful. So they had to pass a law that says you would get thrown in a lion's den if you prayed. Because they said that's all we got on him. Is he going to pray three times a day no matter what? What if that was your testimony? That the enemy could guarantee that no matter what, you're going to talk to God. So that's all we can get him on it. So they got the king to sign an edict that anybody who prays to any other god but the king will get thrown in the lion's den. And David's like, I've been doing this. Been doing this. Opens up his window. <laughs> Just so they can see him. Prays three times in a day. And this one confuses me too. Because they take Daniel a prisoner, and throw him in the lion's den again. If I threw you in a lion's den, I'm going home. I know how this plays out. I have seen the Discovery Channel, and I've been to the zoo. I've watched The Lion King, the old one, that's better, and the new one. I've been on safaris in South Africa. I know how this is going to play out. King Darius couldn't sleep that night after he threw him in. Look at what happened the next morning. Daniel chapter 6. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguish. Daniel! Servant of the living God. Has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Why is a king outside of a lion's den after he's been there a whole night asking questions and waiting for a response? Because King Darius knew the reputation of this God. And King Darius wondered if he delivered them from Red Seas, if he delivered them from demonic oppression, if he delivered them from fiery furnaces. I wonder if lions are on his resume. And sure enough, after a hush ensued outside the lion's den, here come Daniel from the lion's den talking about, may the king live forever. He's so respectful. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions. That they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong by you, your majesty. So respectful. And here he is, coming out of prison, coming out of a lion's den. Why? Because God loves prisoners. And sometimes 
the greatest work he can do is not necessarily get you out of it. There's something he wants to do in you and through you even while you're in it. God loves prisoners. We can do this all day. I could tell you about Paul and Silas and we could go straight to church who got put in prison for setting a girl who was oppressed by demons free. And because their praise was not relegated to a Sunday morning or just when they got a blessing, the same praise they did in public is the same praise they did in private in the inner part of the prison. And I don't think God sent an earthquake to get Paul and Silas out. I think he said, if y'all are going to praise me like that while you're in it, if I can get a praise from you when you did the right thing, but you still ended up in the wrong place, I got to get to where that type of praise is. Because you do know that God inhabits the praises of his people. And when they started praising God, he stepped in. And I believe it was the manifest presence of God. God that shook the foundations of that prison. Why did he do it? Because God loves prisoners. We could do this all day. I could tell you that this same Paul who was thrown in that prison is able to give us not one, not two, not three, but four books that you read in your Bible today, they're all written, not in paradise, but in a prison. The book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philippians, and the book of Philemon were all written while Paul was in chains in a Roman prison. As a matter of fact, if you study what they did in those times in Roman prisons, sometimes if you were a high alert prisoner, they didn't trust just to put you in the prison. Sometimes they'd put you in there and they would chain you to one of the guards. So you'd be in there chained to another guard just to make sure you didn't go anywhere because they knew God has a reputation of getting people out of stuff. And can you see Paul in a Roman prison chained to another dude who's just doing the night shift? And here is Paul writing, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask, think, or imagine. Who according to the power, you like that? Yeah. He's like, bro, whatever. According to the power that works in you. You see him writing these letters that we still read today with guards watching him who were annoyed at first but then started looking at what he was writing and all of a sudden I can see the Roman guards fighting over who would watch Paul late at night because they said never have I heard the mystery of the gospel like this before can you see all these soldiers breaking down in tears and responding to this gospel that's been going on for centuries because of the pen of the apostle Paul
Paul. Oh, now I get why you said, Paul, I glory in my chains. How can you glory in your chains? Because if you got me in here and it's still affecting somebody else's life, I've gotten to the place that it ain't about me. As long as you get the glory, I'm fine. So if you get the glory when I'm in the prison, take the glory, Lord. If you get the glory when I'm out of the prison, take the glory, Lord. If you want to kill me and you'll get the glory, kill me. If you want me to live to get the glory, then I'll stay alive. It's the power of this gospel. Don't you think this gospel that we have is something weak? It is the power of God unto salvation. Why did early saints sing songs when they were burned and crucified upside down? What made them in Colosseums face lions that God in those instances sometimes didn't shut their mouths but they devoured their flesh and yet they said, for God I live and for God I die. What would make them do this? They were convinced of the power of this gospel and that this earth is not the end and I will see him one day. And God help this American church that gets annoyed when we don't get our lattes or if there's a long line or God forbid we have to get to a parking lot. When people have been killed for this gospel, Why does God love prisoners? Because he was one. The cross was not for celebrities. It was for criminals. And before I talk about the cross, I dare say that his incarnation was incarceration. What would make the king of glory strip his deity and come and put on humanity? What would make him leave heaven, the place that we want to go, and come down here to earth? What would make a God that has all power and authority and can snap his finger and disintegrate the humanity he created still allow people to talk to him any kind of way? It was his love. He was brought in before Pontius Pilate. Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or let you go? Aren't you going to say anything? Because he just stood there as a lamb goes before the slaughter and says no word. Don't you know I have the power? And our God, our Savior looked up and spoke to Pilate and said, you could have no authority over me except that which was given to you. Pilate washes his hands. says, I can find no fault in this man. And yet the crowd scream, crucify him! The one who was truly innocent and did no wrong. The only one who can truly say, I'm innocent. Seemingly, his life is in the balance. Crucify him, they shouted. And Pilate said, you know we have a rule where we can release one person. Let me release this man, Jesus. He's done no wrong. Crucify him, they shouted. 
they said, give us Barabbas, the murderer, the one who was guilty. And can you see Barabbas in this critical moment in the annals of human history, watching the Savior take his place? He woke up that day knowing he was going to die. He was guilty. He had killed people. And all of a sudden, he watches them take Jesus as they say, Barabbas, you are free to go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. We are this Barabbas. We were guilty. And yet your God loved you so much. And he said, take me. I'll pay the price. And even as he hung on a cross, he hung between two thieves. It's interesting because the Bible doesn't tell us what the two thieves on the cross did. But whatever it is, it warranted the highest level of execution. And I watched as you saw that video that opened up the service, which was a letter from an inmate who was on death row. And I watched how you clapped, which was appropriate. But if I told you what he was on death row for, I promise you, you wouldn't clap. Some of you would scream. Some of you would gasp if you knew what he did. And yet this gospel says that grace can come to him too. This gospel says that if he puts his faith in Jesus, that he can be forgiven of his sin and worship in the same place as you and I, ladies and gentlemen, grace is not cute. It makes no sense. And one of these thieves, in an attempt of a last ditch effort, just said, Lord, if you could remember me when you come into your kingdom and look at the love of this Savior who didn't wait for him to go to social DNA or memorize the book of Leviticus. He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to worship or sing the latest worship song. He says, truly you will be with me today in paradise. This is the love of our Savior. God loves prisoners so much that you can go from being a prisoner to being in paradise. If you would just put your faith in him, he is faithful to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And all said, how can you refuse this love? I'm glad God loves prisoners. Because when it comes to sin, I am guilty as charged. And yet his love reached out 